You are listening to a sermon from Emmaus Church LCMS. For more information, please go to www.emmauspasco.org. Behold, O Lord, a lamb of your own flock, a sheep of your own fold, and a sinner of your own redeeming. Amen. My wife and I lately have been watching a new TV show. It took my mom about six months and a couple other people who I trust to get me to watch this show. It's called The Chosen. And it's a show, it's, it's, a, it's about the life of Jesus. And, and I am about the cynic's cynic when it comes to Christian entertainment. At best, Christian entertainment mostly looks to me like, or feels like, honey mixed with maple syrup. Just, or, or like getting someone trying to cut you to the heart with a felt-tip pen. It just, it, it rankles me. But this show is doing a really good job. A really good job. of It's got good scriptwriters. It's, it's engaging. It kind of helps me imagine what it would be like in a way that's, that's really helpful, that's like, as, as TV shows are able to do. Now, one of the things that I'm particularly enjoying about this show, which I, I am recommending formally to you, which, and, I'm, and my credibility for recommendation is, is what I just said. Like, I'm, I don't recommend things lightly when it comes to Christian entertainment. But you should go watch it. It's online. Go Google it. The Chosen. What they've done with parables in Jesus' ministry, they have shown, in, in the way they write the script, how Jesus can seamlessly use parables to answer whatever problems are at hand. As the problems arise, and it, and it feels very natural. It feels very natural. And, and what's interesting about it is that the way in the show, he kind of weaves the people who are around him into the parables. And the reason that this is interesting is because the gospel authors, they took Jesus' parables and they arranged them into to kind of sections. They grouped them together. We are reading out of Mark 4. And Mark 4 is a chapter that's full of a bunch of parables. But that doesn't mean that Jesus had like designated parable times where he only spoke in parables for chapter 4 and then he went on and spoke in normal language. No, Jesus used spoken parables all the time. That's actually what Mark says at the end of this chapter 4. In many such words, he spoke the, God, he spoke the word to them, right? In many such parables. And in fact, he didn't speak without parables, right? So what the show has done is we've woven these parables from actually from all over the gospel, some from the ends of the gospel, some from the beginning, and applied them into these circumstances as they arise in the story. So that leads us to ask, as we look at two parables today, what are the circumstances to which this parable would fit? What's the question that these parables answer? And when might Jesus reach for these and say these parables? So let's look at these. We're going to look at two. And the great thing about them is they're actually pretty simple. And I could overcomplicate them, but I'm not going to. I'm going to resist that temptation. There's two of them that we're looking at. And they're both about the reign of God. The reign of God, the kingdom of God. The first one, take out your bullets and turn to page five so we can look at these together. The the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now, this parable makes a very simple point. It's telling us about a man who's sowing seed. Now, this is at the end of chapter 4. At the beginning of chapter 4, he told another famous parable about sowing seed. And that was the man who's scattering seed all over the place. And it lands on four different kinds of soil and that grows differently depending on the soil. Well, here he takes the same metaphor, 
because he's talking about the same thing, the sowing of the word, the sowing of the word of the kingdom, the message of Jesus and who he is, the message of God's forgiveness in Christ. It gets thrown around like seeds scattered on the ground. But this parable is looking at the good soil. It's looking at the soil in which that word grows, and it's making another point about that soil. And that is that this man comes and scatters seed, but then he stops working. He goes home and takes a break. He goes and sleeps. And the earth does its work of its own. The man doesn't come back and do anything else until the harvest comes. Now the point here is that while the man sowing the seed is involved, he's not in control. He's not in control. He sleeps and rises. He knows not how that seed grows. He cannot go and pull up green stalks, getting them to do that. To do that would be to destroy the seeds. He sows the seed, and the seed grows of its own. So God's kingdom, Jesus is saying, grows by its own power. By the power of the Spirit, through that word, God's kingdom grows. And it does indeed grow. But you're not in control. It involves the, 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 the role of human beings scattering that seed. But it doesn't mean that it's in their control. The Holy Spirit, where and when he wills, brings faith into the hearts of those who hear the gospel. All right. So the kingdom spreads through the word under God's control, not ours. Pretty simple point to get, get right? All right. The second parable. It's related, but not quite the same. And Jesus said... With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? This introduction, by the way, is a traditional way rabbis would introduce parables. Jesus didn't make up the idea of a parable that rabbis were using them before him. And this is a normal kind of once upon a time sort of phrase. So Jesus says, what parable shall we use to talk about this? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. And when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the other garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Now, it's easy to get this confused because we're still dealing with seeds, but the metaphor has shifted. The first parable was about a man scattering seed. This is the kingdom of God is like the seed. So don't get your parables confused. Now the parable is like a seed, which, well, okay, in what way? Well, it starts out really small and then it gets bigger, right? We talked about it with the children. It starts out so small that birds could come and eat it, but it grows to become a home for birds. All right, so what's his point here? The reign of God, the kingdom of God, it might begin in obscurity. It might begin looking very unimpressive and tiny, but when it grows, it will embrace all nations. And we can put that whole all nations thing in there because of the Ezekiel passage. The Ezekiel, actually in a couple different places, Ezekiel talks about trees, God planting trees that grow and birds of all nations come in. And one of those places is he's talking about an empire that brings in a whole bunch of different kingdoms. So the idea of birds coming to nest is a good thing. I actually heard this parable taught once as um, that the kingdom of God is at once a simple thing and then it grows into this big bureaucracy and all the birds are the, are the nasty uh, churchmen who come in and like complicate things. Um, very American reading of the parable. But no, in light of Ezekiel, the birds are good things. The birds are the nations coming in to make their home, to find a home in this kingdom that is not just for Israel, but is for all nations. So this, is, this, this kingdom starts out small, and it gets big to be home for other people. Okay, so two simple parables. And now we ask the question, if we were making a movie of the life of Jesus, what would be the story in which Jesus would say, Here's this parable. 
What problem would Jesus try to fix or address with, this, with these parables? What's the question to which they are an answer? Now, it's pretty easy to imagine the answer for the second one, especially when watching the show and, and kind of thinking through how they're, how they're painting this. The kingdom of God began in the humblest possible manner. Jesus began his ministry recruiting fishermen who have prob were probably illiterate, who were not necessarily well thought of, recruiting them to his kingdom. And it's easy to imagine, say, Nathaniel, one of his disciples, one that Jesus singles out and says, this guy calls it like it is. He, there's no deceit in him. He doesn't mince words. He doesn't spin things. He says it like it is. It's easy to imagine Nathaniel looking at this group of ragtag fishermen and ne'er-do-well tax collectors and saying, I don't know about this. Look at those Sadducees. They've got an ancient tradition on their side, and they've got control of the temple. Look at the Pharisees. They're really good at doing the law, and they've got a lot of money and a lot of influence. Look at those Romans. They're everywhere, and they are really scary. No one wants to mess with them. Look at the zealots. They can get people all riled up, and they can get people to go and die trying to fight Rome. What on earth is this group of hobos going to do? To that context, I can see Jesus coming alongside him and saying, Nathaniel, the kingdom of God is not like you think. It's like that mustard tree over there. See, it, it was once a seed. The smallest you can find, but look at it now. It's such a big tree that birds are nesting in it. That's what the kingdom of God is like. And when I imagine him saying this to Nathaniel, I, I can envision Peter nearby, and he probably would have, Jesus would have made sure Peter was nearby, because Peter is, he's, he's the doer. He's the energetic guy who puts himself forward, who jumps out of the boat, who slashes off people's ears to fight for Jesus. He's the one who is most likely to take matters into his own hands, right? Maybe I can see him getting frustrated by the way the crowds will hear Jesus, will see him do miracles, and then shrug their shoulders and walk away. Or way that the religious leaders, the best and brightest of Israel, will, will antagonize and oppose Jesus because they are jealous of him. And I can see Peter thinking this and thinking, you know what, I need to shout a little louder. I need to argue a little bit better. Maybe I can take up arms and knock some heads and people will start listening and paying attention. Or maybe if, if some money makes its way into the right hands, then the right people will start giving their recommendations and this will get going. And it's not hard to imagine Peter, come, Jesus coming alongside Peter and saying, look at that farmer over there. See how he's scattering seed on the ground? What's he going to do next? He's going to go home and go to bed because he's tired. And then what happens? While he's sleeping, doing nothing, the soil will do its work. The water and the heat and the earth will cause that seed to sprout and grow. He won't even know how. And only once that grain is ripe will he come back and gather the harvest. That's what the kingdom of God is like. So if we're going to take this a step further, how might Jesus tell these parables to us in our day? I don't want to put aside the fact that things have gotten a lot more complicated with farming in the meantime. Farmers do a lot in between sowing and harvesting. A lot of fertilizer, a lot of uh, weed killer and such. But I can imagine... Well, our modern-day Nathaniel's sizing up the church, sizing up a congregation, looking at the powerful influencers in our culture, looking at, at the power of things like 
Fox News or MSNBC or, or Facebook or Google or the Ivy Towers, Ivory Tower. Looking at these things and seeing how they shape people's minds and hearts and then looking at the American church and how every day it loses ground. Not just numerically in terms of people being involved, but it loses its power to tell its story in a way that actually gets people to believe it. As an anecdote on the side, Gallup did a poll the other day that 70% of their poll, of people polled, um, believed that same-sex marriage should be legally protected in America. That's a huge change from 1996. In the course of 25 years or so, that has gone from 21% to 70%. And even making that story to where, to why that might not be the best way, policy is increasingly difficult, increasingly problematic. And we think twice and we look over our shoulders about it because it's harder and harder to tell the Christian story in our culture. And we look at all these other powerful things that are telling their stories very well and very powerfully and think, this isn't going well. Maybe Christianity was a giant tree once. Maybe the kingdom was powerful and glorious once. Maybe birds nested in its tree, but now it looks like a withering old shrub. And when people look at this and they think this, I can imagine that it, the next step is to say, well, we can, we can fix this. We can take matters into our own hands. Maybe if we take the parts out of the gospel message that make people mad. We can do that. We can leave off those things that will upset people that won't get us on the wrong side of Google or Facebook. Probably already done that today. We can bend and flex those things that are, in, that are well, controversial. Or maybe, better yet, we could ignore that whole guy throwing seeds everywhere over all kinds of soil. Let's just focus on the good soil. We'll only sow our seed on the properly groomed liturgical soil. We won't worry about the stuff that's out there. Or maybe we should add some other things to the gospel. Make it a little bit more fun, a little bit more engaging, a little bit more appealing. And then people will want it more. But I can imagine it works a little differently, too. It works in your heart. When you look at yourself and you see, and you look for the growth of the kingdom over your heart, and you don't see it. You just get done yelling at your spouse again, or your kid, and you think, oh, I hate that I do that. Why do I still do that? I've been a Christian a long time, and I'm still yelling at my spouse. Why do I do that? Why hasn't God's kingdom grown like it should have in me? And so you reach for a bunch of other things, like books or seminars or diets or whatever. And so it's not hard to imagine Jesus coming alongside you and saying, look, you know that seeds, when they're sown, they don't always grow the same. A person can plant, but then he has to wait. And go about life as that seed sprouts and grows, sometimes sooner, sometimes later. Sometimes richly and fully, sometimes a little sparsely. But the soil produces of itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain. And only when that grain is ripe will that harvest come. That's what the kingdom of God is like. It will grow by my word in its time. And as for the church, you can see him coming alongside the pastor, coming alongside people who are investing deeply in their community and looking at it, losing control, 
losing influence, and saying, look at that tree over there. It was once huge and full and green, but now it's pruned back, just branches in a trunk. It looks dead, right? But when it is pruned, it heals. And it will put out branches. And birds will return to nest in its shade. That's what the reign of God is like. Amen. Now may the peace that passes all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Amen. This has been a message from Emmaus Church LCMS. We thank you for listening and we invite you to find out more by visiting our website at www.emmauspasco.org. That's www.emmauspasco.org.